Well, hello. I'm Lainey, also known as Electro Girl, and I'm an advocate for empowering people to get back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. See, I was diagnosed with epilepsy 30 years ago and basically was never satisfied with hearing from a doctor that pharmaceuticals would be the only approach to controlling my seizures. I just wasn't going to take it. Out of my way, mortal. So I committed many, many years to researching and finding an answer outside of the Western medicine approach to find a more holistic approach in managing and treating my epilepsy and the seizures. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is a show about exactly that. Each week, we will be looking into the life of someone who has been diagnosed with a condition or illness and has succeeded in managing their diagnosis both in and outside of Western medicine. Basically, what put them back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. Good morning and welcome to the Love Your Diagnosis podcast. In this episode, I interview a man called Emmanuel Anthony, who is a researcher, he's a writer, he's a teacher, he's an inspirational speaker, He's a Demartini facilitator and consultant who actually works one-on-one with anyone who wants to be assisted globally to overcome mental disorders and common challenges and achieve their goals. I found him because I've been interested in Dr. John Demartini's work for a while who basically proves that everyone is 100% accountable for all their actions and there is definitely a link between your emotions and your illness. And I learned that a long time ago, way back in my journey. It was an interesting podcast because Emmanuel has survived eight near deaths. Um, he had asthma as a kid, two popped lungs and a tumor in his kidney, and he's overcome all that. And as he keeps teaching himself how every time he feels something, he goes deeper into his emotional world and then tries to fix that. He has a great outlook on ways to do that. And he's even offering a free consultation to anyone that listens and gets in touch with him after. So my initial question to him, like everyone, is, uh, you know, what were you diagnosed with and how's it affecting your life? And this is what he had to say. Enjoy. Yeah, so when I started off at about probably seven or eight, I think it was, I originally had asthma. And I remember having that uh, up until about grade four or five. And then I saw the kids running one day because I was very athletic. And I got really pissed off just before I uh, had to inhale. And I threw it on the floor and said, I'm not doing this anymore and never had asthma again. So that was the first uh, insight into something very interesting for me between the mind and the body. But then later on, as I went through life, I popped my lung. Uh, I think the first time was in year 10 and the second was in year 12. It's specifically called the spontaneous pneumothorax. Spontaneous meaning they don't know why it occurred. All they said it was, I was tall, skinny and athletic at the time. And uh, a pneumothorax basically explains the popping of the lung, but your lungs look like two pieces of steak in an x-ray. And um, when I popped my first lung, I can't remember if it was my left or right, the doctors had a look on the x-ray at the hospital and they, it was like one doctor came and then another doctor came and then another. And I said, what's going on here? Why do they keep coming over and putting the telescope on my chest and then looking at each other in this weird face that they think I can't see? 
And then they showed me the x-ray and one of them existed and the other one wasn't, but I was still talking to them. I said, usually a person would be in a very different condition. So that was in year 10. And then in year 12, the same thing happened again, but on the other lung. So now at this stage, uh, they said, you know, for somebody that is as young as you are, for this to have occurred twice, we've got to do a bigger operation because we, you've popped them both. We can't have both of them going at the same time. You're not breathing at all. In lifestyle, very active. I've, I've always loved sport and that kind of thing. But when it occurred uh, the first time, the first time we thought it was a joke at school, my left arm kind of went numb, I think it was. And I'd even get the kids to hit my arm and it just flop around and we we're going, what's going on here? It's almost like it's dead. And then that feeling went across my body. So I was just in school studying and yeah, I probably played some sport on recess and lunch. Uh, the second time when it happened at school, I'd probably been a little more active um, on recess and lunch, but it wasn't anything like I did during sport or anything. I can't actually specifically find out when that occurred. How old were you when you first started on the ventilator? I remember. I just remember that it was in primary school, pretty much up until I'd probably say grade four. Yeah. And then I just turfed it. And then, then after I had the two spontaneous pneumothoraxes, I later on, I can't even remember how long ago it was now, maybe five or seven years, you know, actually probably over 10 years ago now to think about it because I haven't put a pharmaceutical in my body for about 11 years. And it was prior to that. Uh, I had a tumor in my kidney. I had to have that immediately cut out. They basically saw it and then they said, we got to cut that out within a couple of months. And I was in hospital and they'd cut that out. What led you to go and look into the fact that you had a tumor in your kidney? What was going on for you at the time? I think I was feeling some pain in my stomach or something like that. It was actually really funny because they went and they did a whole bunch of tests and the guy came out from one of the tests and he goes, well, uh, how long you had that tumor there for? And I said, what tumor? <laughs> and his face just looked at me. I could tell that he just went, oh, wow, that's really unprofessional. And I said, what tumor? He goes, we'll get the specialist to talk to you about that in a second. And then that ended up growing up to be the biggest tumor they'd seen in that area. Um, so that's why they wanted to cut it out. Now, it was benign, but they were worried about what could potentially occur there. When they did all the tests and they said, you know, Emmanuel, you've got this tumor in your kidney, did they give you a choice or did they say this has to be done and you just had to follow because you didn't know any better? I'd probably say the latter, to be honest. My family and I have gone through uh, quite the growth in terms of our relationships with doctors, um, our relationships with specialists and uh, the advice that we take and what we don't take now. During that period, any time that anybody said, you know, this needs to be done now or et cetera, uh, we jumped into it straight away. My, my mum's a great example of that. She's actually got a tumor in her throat and they said, we have to take that out. She changed her diet and that reduced within two months and they went, oh, that was spontaneous. So... Well, what we realized was that, um, well, especially for me as well. So for my mother, um, it was because my father ended up, he's had a cancer before and one after. So she started altering the diet around the household. She said, all right, uh, you know, I'm from Mauritius originally. So we ate um, a lot of Mauritian food, but then a lot of Australian food as well. But we were very relaxed about a lot of things. And then she said, you know, let's, she started doing a research and said, let me implement some more organic food. So I started eating organic food. I noticed quite a bit of a change as I started bodybuilding as well. And I noticed that I wasn't getting sick after that. Uh, and I noticed a lot of uh, changes that allowed me to have less headaches, more energy, more vitality. And I was learning about the mind as well. So as we did that, 
I would go to the doctors when I had a challenge and they'd be so quick to give me pharmaceuticals. I would opt not to take the pharmaceuticals and look for natural ways to do that. And I realized that I could actually speed up my recovery. Sometimes it'd take a whole 24 hours, but I, I started to study and then I went, hold on a second, my liver and my kidney are going to be the sacrifice that I pay. There is no just win-win. There's a win and a loss. What am I willing to pay? And I realized I had to take that responsibility. So my mother took that on board. I took that on board, my sister and my brother. And as we started to do that, we just, we noticed a change. The proof was in the pudding. So from there, we altered our relationships. So whether you've tried this yourself or you haven't tried it yourself, taking personal responsibility for yourself and your actions in your life is actually a really empowering thing. And so when you're diagnosed with something, you know, you kind of have to sit with yourself and try not let other people influence your decisions too much because that will be the footprint of of the direction you're going to go. Always look into yourself before decisions and Emmanuel has uh, done this personally himself. Well, it really matters on the strength of the person. At the time, I was still discovering who I was um, during that period, whereas now the voice and the vision on the inside is way louder than anything or any opinion on the outside for me. So for now, anything that happens within my life, I do for me. And if anybody has a challenge with that, I appreciate the fact that they're sharing wisdom out of love, but I let them know that the consequences of anything I do, I've got to, I've got to be 100% accountable for, uh, whether positive or negative. So you've had the tumour removed because you didn't know any better. When they removed the tumour, what was the next step that they wanted you to do? Well, the, luckily for me, there wasn't really a next step. It was just monitoring it to make sure that it was okay. What I took out of that is, for me, I can't change and alter the past, but I can alter my perception about it. So I took that as an opportunity to reflect back and have a look at something that I study quite a bit, which is um, uh, what, are, what is the link between emotions and physiology? And how do we create symptoms within our body, including tumors, uh, by actually understanding that different emotions are related for different organs. So anxiety communicates to the heart through adrenaline, etc. And because just before I went in, my sister said something interesting. I remember her saying that has to do with anger. And I had a lot of anger towards my father. So that's the reason why I specialize in human emotions now and human physiology, because I realized that each of these was a blessing in disguise to teach me to self-manage. Because if I didn't manage my own uh, emotions and perceptions, even for people that say they want to separate physiology from psychology, fine, you can do that and set the reductionist model to it. But we can all agree that if you're physiologically experiencing symptoms and you add stress to it, you add more for the body to try and deal with. There's a program by Dr. John Martini called the Prophecy 2 program. Um, and the Prophecy 2 program goes into 100 uh, different diseases and they're linked to perceptions. And what that shows, because people will think it's airy-fairy stuff, they'll say, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds really interesting. But when I work with clients and they say, I'm experiencing, um, I've had a heart attack, etc., I'll just say straight away to them, so how long have you been stressed for? How do you know I'm stressed? That's because your heart has to increase its level of repetitions um, compared to the norm in order for you to bring it to that point of breakdown. And that's, oh, it's for this long and that long, et cetera. And I'll say, beautiful. If I show you a graph and I've got a person that's not stressing in you and I show you every second, your graph goes up. Theirs goes baseline. If I do that over a week, you go, wow, that's a lot. If I do that over a month, a year or a lifetime, you'd see that you're based the way that your heart and that graph is moving up and the amount that your heart rate's moving it's not airy-fairy anymore. We've got statistics to show why your heart was a particular um, organ 
that suffered. So uh, we know all of that through science. It's just a case of understanding what can we do. So when you go back and look at your own journey with your lungs and the tumour in the kidney and that graph, what do you devise from that? A lot of anger and mismanagement of emotions, uh, a lot of delusions and perceptions around religion and um, really stringent living. Life had to be black or white. Life's grey. Uh, we know that through quantum uh, entanglement. Uh, it has two sides. It's equilibrated. Everything had to be black and white, and I was trying to figure that out. And then I had a lot of anger towards my father and all that anger towards the world. And I was storing that, and that I know that graph because I experienced it daily. As I worked on the seven areas of my life, the mental aspect was the last part I felt I really grasped because uh, I you know, got physically stronger so I could take care of the bullies. I built my social empowerment, but there was always just something chipping away at me. And it wasn't until I got that mental aspect really and it clicked in that I noticed the most physiological changes within that. So I see the whole journey as feedback, but I didn't know how to read the feedback. And it wasn't until I understood how to read it and then later on now how to dissolve emotions and that feedback and address it, now I can actually see what that journey was about. But we have to go through that journey to get to the other side of enlightenment because it gets us to get up and actually go on that quest. Well, there's a lot of talk, a lot of movement around breaking through trauma at the moment and how important that is for health. From what I'm understanding, from what you're saying, there was trauma inside you that needed to be addressed 100 percent, yeah yeah the tumor as it was benign it you you were never concerned that it would metastasize or come back because of the work that you were doing for yourself to heal it in other ways well that's the interesting thing over the last 11 years uh i can't remember the last time i had a cold or a flu haven't taken a panadol there hasn't been a pharmaceutical product placed inside of my body I remember when I first started healing myself, I lived with some housemates and um, I had a really, I woke up with a really full on headache and they said, oh, let's give him a Panadol. And one, there was a guy and a girl that were dating and she said, don't put it. And he said, I'm going to spike his drink. He's a good friend of mine. I'm going to put it in there. I can't watch him like this. She goes, if you do, he'll break a friendship with you. She said, just let him rest. He said, he'll have his honey, his lemon. Uh, he'll work on it from the inside, but he'll also work on his perceptions that created it as well. And he'll tick off his box of, have I drank enough water and everything else? He said, he wants to, she knew me well. Uh, that was probably about eight o'clock or six, I think six or seven or eight in the morning. At one o'clock, I was fully suited, three-piece suit, walked out as if nothing had happened. And he looked at me and said, what the hell is going on here? I said, oh, I had a look back to um, uh, when I didn't have the headache and then I had a look at uh, what some of the causes were for the headache and I realized straight away what was going on within my life. There are some things that I'm dealing with today uh, that I unconsciously really didn't want to go into the office and address. So I balanced my perceptions around that and I can't wait to get in there and address it. I said, how's your headache? So it feels great. Bring a lot of water with me and make sure I can address that and keep sure my hydration's there. Is it the same for everyone? Because I know, I know a lot of people that experience headaches or is it different for each person, what that headache would represent? There's some similarities. The symptoms still represent something that requires work because the body never expresses something without having a reason, meaning, or purpose, whether it's conscious or unconscious uh, within that. So a lot of the things that I work with when I'm explaining symptomology to people is I'll say, I can give you a job that you don't like. And you might start to yawn and go, oh, I feel a little bit sleepy. But you weren't sleepy before that. It's not until I gave you the thing that you didn't like. That's the first stage of a symptom. You could think of it as a really light symptom. Now, on the other hand, you can have a breakup with somebody and you were perfectly fine that day. But after that breakup, now you've got anger, fear, sadness, guilt, resentment, all of these emotions. And they don't leave you for a couple of months. So there is something that's causing each one of these. And I've been obsessed 
after almost dying eight times within my life with finding out what the causes were and taking myself as a guinea pig to be able to find out what I could do to resolve these. Hang on. Nearly dying eight times. It's really great when you're interviewing someone in a podcast and then all of a sudden you find out something that you didn't know about them like, I nearly died eight times actually. And then you think, whoa, you're definitely supposed to be on the planet if you've nearly died eight times. How on earth does someone nearly die eight times and is not supposed to be on the planet? So obviously the halo on his head is just shiny. And let's find out how he averted death eight times, shall we? I'm interested, aren't you? All right, Emmanuel, give us the goods. Pop lung was twice because we had the left and the right um, within that. So I was rushed over both times, uh, one by my parent, the other one by a, a hospital, um, a, pardon me, an ambulance. They couldn't find my veins. So I was at the front of the school for about 20 minutes. Then I had the tumor as well. I remember signing paperwork for that because um, they were quite worried about that. And then the others were around car crashes. So none of the others were around anything to do with uh, diseases or anything, just really interesting situations where um, I'd almost been hit by cars in car accidents. I almost went over a bridge. There was a range of things. I mean, it's why I do what I do today. I think people say I'm like a cat. I think I've only got one more life left because I only get given nine. (laughs) Right. Well, you better choose how that's going to be. Yeah, I might need to go out with a bang, I think. Mm. Yeah. I've been doing, I've been dealing in holistic health a long time with my own journey and, and finding the balance and understanding the body and, and understanding also that what works now may not work in 10 years because other things that you invite into your life may stain it on some other levels. So you, it's a constant. Well, we're changing as organisms. I I used to be able to drink a coffee before I went to bed and 12 during the day. If I have caffeine now, I have a come down. I literally have a crash and it's suicidal. Um, If somebody goes to hand me a coffee, my fiance will almost jump in like a bodyguard uh, for the president and be like, he he needs to have a decaf. Do you drink alcohol? No, I drink um, non-alcoholic alcohol. I believe my friends who uh, tease me call it grape juice. (laughs) <laughs> you you don't find anything that you left behind to to live this lifestyle of sacrifice. This is exactly where you want to be. No, because um, within each sacrifice, there's also something that I gained. And I worked in nightclubs from 17 to 26. And during that period, uh, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So um, everything was available. Everything was free. I absolutely loved that part of my life. It's definitely led to my ability to do what I do today. But I think I got it out of my system for myself and about 12 other uh, fully grown men put together in the amount that I consumed during that period. That's a whole podcast in itself, I think. (laughs) Amazing. Do you eat meat? Are you vegan? I enjoy a golf bodybuilding kind of lifestyle, uh, so I do eat meat. I like to have as much vegetables as I have in terms of meat, but I'm very much, I just watch my calories. I track them. I track my water. I I love tracking things where some people gives them anxiety to watch their numbers. I like to watch them as my own science test and see what my body's doing and then alter what it is that I'm doing as, as I age. Would you say you're obsessed with health? And I don't mean that at all to be patronizing. 
No, because I have a balance. My sister who loves, um, you know, health and wellness the way I do, she'll send me across. Uh, she'll say, you know, replace. I remember what I, I loved Nutella last year. And she said, you know, instead of having that as a cheat meal, here's an alternative that doesn't have X, Y, and Z in there. And it tastes very similar. I love that. And it was half the calories. So I said, beautiful. So for me, I've always been somebody because growing up, I had a lot of challenges with my father and I had to learn how to fight to be who I was. So I love doing things that I love and my aim is to do that in all seven areas of life. And to the degree that I can, I'm optimizing human potential. That's why at eight o'clock at night, people will say, how do you work 8 a.m. till 8 p.m.? So I'm doing what I love, like a kid in a candy store. So I love it, but I think that balance is the key. I'm going to have a pizza here and there. I'm going to mix it up. I'm just going to go for more of a 90-10 principle in what I'm doing to make sure that I have longevity. I'm 37 now. My body doesn't react the same way as it did when I was even 27 to some of the foods. When you take your halo off, is pizza the, the naughty food? I grew up around Greeks and Italians. I mean, if, for your listeners listening from overseas, uh, I'm from Melbourne originally, and that's a huge Greek and Italian community over there. My best friends are Greek and Italian, and I'm, I'm obsessed. I could eat pizza all around the world, no matter where, as a um, pizza connoisseur. But um, I've, I've kind of calmed down on that because there's been a, I've been discovering how to make food. My fiance is a great chef, but I've been taking over some of that. So now I'm actually discovering a lot of different foods. So here we are at that part of the podcast where I say to people, do you actually love your diagnosis? I asked Emmanuel, has your diagnosis shape-shifted who you are today and made you who you are today? Because Emmanuel doesn't deal with any of the diagnoses that he originally did. So I was curious to see if that was all in the past or if in fact he's used that for where he's currently at in his life. I think it has shape-shifted who I am today because if I look at each step of the way, I've been very blessed with mine in of that they were a diagnosis, solution, and then I moved on to the next challenge. So I'd say that it did. I looked and I said, there are things happening outside of me. I can't control those, but I seem to keep making it back to the hospital. So there's got to be something that I'm doing, or at least that I can take control of that can alter me coming back to this place. Cause I just didn't, it's a stale place. Nobody wants to go there regularly. So that's when I started studying about the human body, physiology, psychology, and then realizing that, uh, you know, yes, you can go and I've got, you know, a lot of study under my belt, but yes, you can go and study 101 fields, but you've got the best organism right here with you, your body. It's a vehicle that you go through life. So you can test out some of these things and then see how they work for you. Because like you said, everybody's body's different um, in that. And then from there, understand your body a hell of a lot better. And we should be doing that so much more as a society, but I don't think that we do. No, I don't think we do. We don't honor the vessel that we're here, the vessel being our body. We don't honor that enough. Even in your 20s, people are working out and they're looking like they're healthy. But this generation has a different ideal about their body. They're looking in, I think some of them are starting to look inside and outside because during that period, you look outside without looking inside. But then as stuff starts to break down, then you start. The way, my metaphor is most people tra treat their bodies like a Renabon. Uh, I look to treat mine like a Ferrari. You put the best fuel in the Ferrari. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. And so with this loving your diagnosis, with all these things that led you to want to look deeper into all the facets that contribute to health, you've become now a motivational person in people's lives. Talk us through that. 
So as this journey went on, uh, I started to look at, like you said, my sister, that pivotal moment. And I believe in synchronicities. I don't think that there are uh, any kind of mistakes as you study the universe. Because as a Martini Method facilitator and having studied John's work uh, for the last 11 years, um, one of the things that I noticed was every time we study an ology, physiology, psychology, biology, etc., there's a mathematical algorithm that runs that. And when I looked at it, I went, I don't believe in God, I'm an atheist, but there's definitely a grand organized design, which is an acronym for God, uh, behind this. How can every aspect of the universe have so much detail whatever, whoever, in terms of intelligence, I don't believe there's a man with a gray beard that put it together, um, but whatever intelligence put this together and this experience that we call life, it's magnificent. And uh, we have the opportunity to be part of that magnificence. So I just wanted to have a look through the lens of that grand organized design. As I started to study physiology and everything else and creating those changes within myself, and then realizing that I didn't need to live life like everybody else, but I could alter the way in which I did that and create results. I wanted to share that with other people. And I started off with consulting. I still do that today, one-on-one. But uh, then it started going into group talks and situations like this because I just felt that as I've helped people alter and change, if we don't have a variety of ways to do that, we just go towards drugs. And to me, it's quite often... I have no problems with pharmaceuticals, by the way. If I was in a car accident, drug me up like crazy. But we're we're teetering on abuse over use. And I think that's the conversation that I want people to have. Yeah. Have you got sort of final words to say to anyone that's experiencing, probably anyone that's experiencing a situation where they're in a medical scenario and they don't feel like they're quite in control? So uh, there's a beautiful saying by Dr. John D. Martini, which is um, injury can be perceived as jury from within. And uh, when we have a lot of things going on within our lives and a lot of trials and tribulations, we add extra stress to whatever it is that's occurring physiologically and psychologically within our minds. So if you're experiencing challenges, one of the first things I'd say is learn how to psychologically take on those challenges and increase your resilience because the mind can quite often play a bigger role than whatever's happening. Uh, you may have to go speak to a doctor next week, but you can be anxious about speaking to the doctor for 24 hours and seven days leading up to that. And that has a huge impact on the body, not just the heart, but it's going to create brain noise, which is what occupies time and space in your mind. And then it's going to create uh, highly volatile emotions, which men will make you look for things like a quick fix or chocolate or sex or drugs or things like that. So my best advice is, and it's the reason I specialize within the mind, learn how to control your perceptions, learn how to control your emotions, and then from there, grow and evolve towards working on the physiological aspect. Okay, this is a very interesting part that you might want to take a pad and pen and write down. Emmanuel's going to share with you his four pillars of maximum wealth, wellness, and well-being. If that interests you, definitely take a pen or listen to this over and over again until it sinks in. Anyway, Emmanuel, what are those four pillars? Please tell us. I am dying to know. I'll leave you the four pillars that were given to me that have helped me really alter my life. Number one, learn how to control your perceptions. Um, as you do that, you will take control of what's happening within your life. Yes, things can happen on the outside, but we make uh, mountains out of little kind of bumps in the road too often. 
The second one is work on your physiology. The psychology is working inside out, uh, but you want to work on what you're putting into the body as well. You can do all the psychological work that you want, but if you're not, if you're putting foods and things inside of you that's killing this living organism, it's like running on a treadmill and eating donuts at the same time. It's counterintuitive. So working on the inside and the outside. Do what you love. It's uh, whenever you do what you love and love what you do, you increase your energy and vitality. Five hours feels like five minutes. You're maximizing your potential. I think too many people, I think they had their suicide rate was usually on a Monday when people are rocking up to jobs they don't love. I think more people need to do what they love, share your mission with the world. Um, this podcast is an example of sharing your vision and your mission with as many people as possible and sharing light so they give themselves permission to um, pass that light on as well and we can take people out of darkness. And then the last one is mastery in all seven areas of life. Whatever area of your life, whether it's physical, financial, mental, spiritual, social, vocational, family, whatever area that you run away from, you keep running into in terms of challenges. So if you can set goals, especially in January, that inspire you in all seven areas and really challenge yourself to grow and evolve. You can leave not only an amazing contribution for you and your family, but for the world in that. So they're my four pillars to maximum wealth, wellness, and well-being. Wow. This is not your first rodeo, is it? You just reeled that off like a professional. Wow. Well done. Uh, if people want to find out a little bit more about how to tame the mind beast, get in touch with Emmanuel or read his blogs. We'll put up a link to that as well. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was very inspiring. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate uh, being able to share some of the uh, different, usually people talking about my profession, but today it was very personal and I appreciate having this conversation. Yeah. Well, like you said, the personal side led into your professional side. So you were this before you were that. So thank you so much for sharing what you were, which led to who you are now, because uh, to me, that's really interesting and really important. Beautiful. I'll just leave one final note for anybody looking to reach out. Uh, we'll leave a link for a 20-minute complimentary consultation. That's free. And it's a great chance to just say hello. Uh, the same way that we literally just said hello prior to this podcast, I love connecting with people all around the world and finding out where are you now? What are your major challenges? What are your goals? And letting you know what we can achieve and what we can do in what time frame. So if you're open for a virtual coffee, whether that's video or audio, uh, feel free to click on that link. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that generosity as well. Do it. Take him up on it. All right. Well, I'll say bye for now and thank you. And I hope a lot of people come your way through this because it seems like you know exactly what you're doing. I love it. Love and gratitude to you all. Thank you very much. All right, Dal. See ya. Bye. If you would like to donate to the running of this podcast and you can afford a few little bucks a month or whatever it is that you can afford to keep the show going without ads, please hit this PayPal button. And if you've got a few loose coins, that would really mean a lot to me and other people who are listening to this podcast and getting seeds of inspiration. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that just means more people will know about it. If you've got a story that you want to share, that you've had success with and that you've researched and found some, some joy and gold in your own diagnosis, please hit me up. I'm always happy to share anyone's story. The main takeaway message in these podcasts is get second opinions, find a doctor that you really resonate with and research the shit out of what you're going on. Get back in the driver's seat of your health, everyone. You do not need to take one person's opinion about the rest of your life and how to live it. 
Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm Lainey Godiva. Listener.